if you remember how the service ended last week with the challenge of uh, um, how to aggressively seek or pursue the kingdom of God, and we looked at the blind Bartimaeus and how Jesus asked him specifically, what do you want? So we focused a lot last week on telling Jesus what we want or what we need, and that's an important thing to do. But we want to begin 2021 in this first message and looking at it through the month of, of uh, January is, God, what do you want? What do you want? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you this morning that this has been true in my life and I believe it's true for everyone. The only way that you and I will ever experience true joy and true peace and true fulfillment is to find a balance between telling God what I want or what you want specifically and finding out what he wants. You've got to have both. You have to have both. Um, if we are just about what God wants and just go about obeying what God wants, but we have no real relationship with Him because it's something that we feel like we're forced to do and we're doing it begrudgingly or for whatever reasons, if that's all we have in our relationship is just doing what God wants and, and whatever that might look like, we actually can find ourselves stepping over into legalism, which is just checking boxes or being even more rigid than God would have us be. On the other hand, if all we ever do is pursue this relationship, this emotional relationship with God, without having diligence in obeying the things He told us we're supposed to do, then we're doomed on the other side, which is to a, a, a Christian walk, if it even ends up that way, of emotionalism and, and actually instability. So our, our messages through the month of January, and maybe even into February a little bit, depending on how things come together, will be along those lines of finding that balance point between telling God what we want, but also, more importantly now, hearing what He wants from us or what He expects. Now, there's a, a quote here, and I always hesitate to use quotes that aren't from the Bible because, um, and this is what I'm going to do here, is a guy by the name of Stephen Covey, and I am in no way, no way, um, using this as a chance to, um, what's the word I want, to endorse all the things that he would do. He's a leadership guru, one of those kinds of things there. Um, but he did say this, and I, this is what came to my mind as I was prepping this week. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. You get the idea there? It's all about the main thing. Now, I am pretty sure that uh, when Stephen Covey used what he was talking about the main thing and what I'm talking about as the main thing are two different things, okay? Um, the statement, though, was meant to get our attention as followers of Christ, the way I'm using it, to find out what that main thing is and then major on that. Not just to think about it for a moment or a day or a week, but find out what the main thing is from God's perspective and then major on that, not just today and tomorrow for the first week of 2021, but for the rest of our lives. The fortunate thing is we don't need to look any further than Jesus' life and his teachings to answer the question is what is the main thing? Because oftentimes now that we do all the main thing, let's start speculating and thinking. We don't even need to do that. In fact, it can be dangerous. Let's go and see what the Bible has to say about that. And actually, there was uh, a question that was posed of Jesus. He was in this situation as he was in his earthly ministry, and it got to the spot, I'm not sure it really matters the full context behind that, but he was posed a question. The person that posed it really, I'm not sure, was looking for the answer that they got. What they were actually trying to do was trap Jesus or trap him into a tough situation so he would misstep and say something either that was not according to what God would say or something that they could use against him. And the question was, and it's interesting, this guy's trying to challenge him and butters him up and saying, wonderful teacher, what's the greatest commandment? That was baited because he was a scholar in the, in the Jewish law, and he said, okay, I'm going to get him on this one because he's not going to be able to answer this handily because how do you declare which is the greatest command? And uh, here's that recording there in Matthew 22. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? This guy was asking Jesus, and it's interesting how God used that and how Jesus used that to give us one of the most profound truths that Jesus ever spoke. 
This guy was asking Jesus, what's the most important command of all the commands that God gave? What's the one that has the most significance of all the law? Which one has the most moral value? In other words, if you were going to major on one thing, Jesus, what would it be? And Jesus' answer also in Matthew 22, verse 37 says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Jesus doesn't hesitate for a second to answer that question. He doesn't sit there and say, hmm, that's a tough one. It's almost as if he's primed and ready, and as soon as the door is open, he goes right for it and says that. It's as if that Jesus, even though they're trying to trap him, and he could have been wrapped up in nerves and choose his words carefully, it's as if he sees that there's this amazing opportunity to let all humanity, not just to do that, but now it's recorded for us, to let all people of all time know what the main thing really is from God's perspective. That the main thing, what he's saying is this, in answer to that is, the main thing, guys, is to love God. Sounds really unprofound, doesn't it? Just to love God. But what does it mean? What does it mean to love God? Well, if you're looking at the way that Jesus used the word love there and the, the Greek word that came out of his mouth that day, he was saying that, what does it mean to love God? It means that you and I are to be loyal to him. You and I are to be devoted to him. We're to worship and honor the Lord our God as divine. You say, what does that mean for divine? It means that he's holy. There's a supernatural, otherworldly part of, G of God that we recognize in our worship and praise of him as we exalt him and lift him up. The reason that we do that is because we recognize that he is so far beyond us in so many ways. His ways, his words, his truth is so far beyond the things that we cook up in our humanity. Now, many of us would give lip service to saying that we love God. But Jesus goes deeper in his explanation. He says to love the Lord your God, but he doesn't stop there. He goes deeper. He says this next. He says with, to love with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And those phrases are definitely worth us spending some time meditating on. Not just today in the middle of the message, but thinking about what does that look like and what does it mean. You see, what Jesus was telling us in that idea to love with our heart, soul, mind, and strength was to, we're supposed to love God, be devoted, honor Him, glorify Him, be devoted to Him without hypocrisy and without reservation. You see, it's not my claim or your claim that you love God that really counts. Because now more than ever in our culture, words are cheap. You can say something, you can even um, do it with a powerful voice or come up with what seems to be great conviction, but that's not really where it's at. Oh, it's important to declare that you love God, but what really matters is do we have actions that prove that love of God? The actions that go along with loving God that are proof of it, are, again, we don't have to go and speculate for one second on what that is because it comes clearly in the Bible in numerous places. The Bible tells us, Jesus says it, and then John comes back and says it again in his, his letters, if you Jesus saying, if you love me, you will obey my commands. It's as clear as that. The actions that come with loving God are obedience. And, and, and we're, to, we're, to, we're to love God without doubt. What does that mean? Because it's hard, it's hard as a human being to never doubt. And I want you to get that out of there. It's not that you have to play this mental gymnastics trying to figure out how you can walk without doubt of your love of God. But the bottom line is you love, for the most part, deep down inside, even in the midst of your doubt or wondering about how you relate to God and, and maybe even sometimes wondering, is He really real? But you've committed your life to Him. And you can have those, those battles that go on. But deep down in here somewhere is when all is stripped away and you even maybe have some doubts and wonders, you really realize that you have a confidence that really God is who he said he was and it's the best thing for you to love him. To love without doubt. We're also, I like this one too. This comes out in the study of the words this week. We're supposed to love God without an escape clause. Without an escape clause. And what is an escape clause? An escape clause would be that, okay, I will love God until it gets too hard to love God or 
I'll love God until all of a sudden loving Him forces me to do something that I don't fully understand. And once I don't understand, well, then I'm going to pull back. Or I'm going to love God until, you know what, I don't feel like loving God. When Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength, He was saying that love has no escape clause whatsoever. It means that we love God even when we don't understand. When something happens in your life that you can't get your head around saying, how could God really love me for that to happen? We choose anyhow to love Him because realizing that we don't know everything. Choosing to love God um, when it gets really hard. When loving God, and what's the proof of loving God? Doing what He says. And when you have to do what He says, it actually makes your situation worse rather than better. Or you catch flack from family and friends because you're dedicated your life to Christ and are obeying His commands and you get ridiculed or maligned or, 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 or even ostracized or pushed aside because of that. Loving God fully means loving Him even when it's hard. And then loving Him when you don't feel like it. When you wake up in the morning you're in a grumpy mood and you just assume whatever. <laughs> That's when the test of our real love of God. Or loving God when we're angry and frustrated and we'd rather tell God off as if that was going to solve anything or fix anything rather than being upfront and honest with Him, declaring how we really feel, which always brings us to the spot when we're really honest with Him and helping Him come back by I choose to love you anyhow and follow you anyhow. That's the love that God was taught, Jesus was talking about. We're to love God with our whole being. He says, with your heart, with your soul, and with your strength. If you were to look those words up, you're going to find when you look at the heart and the soul, you're going to find out that they talk about these things and you're looking for these profound differences between the two and you're going to find out heart and soul when they try to translate that Greek meaning into the English language, they overlap a ton. And the best thing I can tell you is that what Jesus was saying when he said all your heart all your soul, and all your strength is to love God with your entire being. With all the affection, with all the desire, with all the passion, and all the feelings that you have within you. With all of your speech, with your actions, so much so with your speech and actions that the people around you, they realize that the way that you are walking out your life, which you would say is because you love God, they would look at that because they're human as well and they recognize that there's no way that you can do that on your own strength. They'd say there's got to be a catch because nobody can really do that. Nobody can really, and they would say, if we just dug below the surface a little bit, that's why they say they do it and it looks like that. They would say, if I could dig below the surface and really find out what's going on, I'd find out that it's all just a front because nobody's really able to walk that way. And the beautiful thing about it is when we totally sell ourselves out to God and love Him fully, that if somebody starts to scratch the surface and dig deeper into what's really going on in their heart, you know what they find? They find only more of what they were trying to disprove. They find that really our love for God is something that has actions on it, but as they deep further, they realize it comes from a heart of integrity that's truly, truly given to the Lord. We're supposed to love Him with our thought processes, the operation of our reasoning, the way we think. Again, we're to love God with our whole being, with everything we have. We don't hold any part of ourselves back. We don't keep any part of our life from Him. We don't keep, as we heard in Sunday school, we don't keep our finances from Him. We don't keep our relationships from Him. In other words, I'll only love up to a certain point, but He can't have this, or I can't trust Him with that. We have nothing that we hold back. We give Him every part of us and we honor Him in every part of our life. We invest everything that we have in our relationship with Him as we seek to obey His ways. Don't, we don't give Him just part of ourselves, the part that's convenient. Jesus makes a statement then after he says, love the Lord your God, and after he answers the question, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he goes on and says more. He doesn't stop there. He goes on and says, you know something? This guy's saying, this, the one I just told you, 
is the greatest command. And when Jesus said that, he was telling this man and anybody that would listen, and now we have opportunity to read it in Scripture, he says that this command to love God and all that it entails that I just explained to you, that is the chief, the principal command from God. It is the main, the most important, the most significant, the one of the most moral value of all the things that God said throughout his word and that Jesus taught, that one is the most important one. It's the chief command. Our, I would lay this out to you. Our entire and whole spiritual existence and the destiny of where we will spend eternity starts and ends with obedience to that greatest command. And say that again. My eternal destiny and your eternal destiny, where I will spend eternity, and my spiritual life while I'm here on earth begins and ends is all consumed by following that command and seeking to do that. I want to tell you this morning that if we can give ourselves to walking out this love of God, what He's looking for from us, if we, can, if we can do that, if we can work at doing that and obeying that command, I want to tell you this, I can guarantee that we will actually accomplish all that He has for us. And we'll find ourselves in the deepest, most meaningful, and fulfilling relationship with Him that will permeate all areas of our life. Mankind, since the beginning, is seeking fulfillment, and as life comes at them, is seeking something that will bring peace. We want to be joyful. We want to be happy. We want to enjoy. We want to have a sense of well-being. And I'm telling you that the beginning of that, the end of that, all consumed in that is the way to those feelings that humanity is looking for, which includes me and you, is obeying that greatest command. And if you're looking for a way around that or something more profound or something deeper for the meaning of life, there isn't anything more deep than that. Jesus said it. This is the most important thing right here. This is the main thing, loving God. And it's not this, like I said, it's not just this emotional uh, flippant feeling that comes. It's a love that goes much deeper than our feelings that loves even when we don't feel like it. Loves when it's hard. So if you're looking, if you're listening this morning and you are seeking and pursuing something that will bring joy and peace and fulfillment, you know what? A lot of the world right now as we speak is attempting to try to find a way to do that in the form of New Year's resolutions. Why do we form New Year's resolutions? Because we want to become, ready, the best version of ourself. I'm going to tell you, you know how you become the best version of yourself? You do what God said. Love Him with all your being because He's the one that made you. He's the one that made you. And if He's the one that made you, He's also the one that made you with a plan for your life and formulated very specifically to walk that out. And you will find joy and peace and fulfillment and, and these, all those wonderful things that you long for when you yield yourself in obedience to God and walk out love towards Him. You will find that purpose and walk in it. The interesting thing that Jesus did, he didn't stop here. He didn't stop and he, see this guy, this is what I love about Jesus. He, he's, they're trying to trap him and because he just is not bought by, doesn't, doesn't cower in fear, doesn't worry, he, he sees an open opportunity but he goes way beyond just answering this guy's question. And he goes on next and he gives us more. And he says this, oh and by the way to this guy, the second command, the guy only asked for what's the greatest one. And Jesus said the second one, in other words, the second most important thing is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus was saying to this guy is, this command that I'm going to give you, the second one, and now second makes it sounds like it's subservient to the first, and in a way it is, but when he said the second is like it, what he was simply saying is, the second command that I'm going to give you is like the first one. He was saying that the second command is one and the same with the first one. He is telling us very clearly that loving God is super important. It's the most important thing. But you can't separate loving God from loving people. Get that one. You can't separate loving God the way God is asking us to love Him with loving people. 
he was telling people, telling all of us that we're to love God with everything we have, but at the same time, we're also supposed to be devoted to others, treating people with value, with esteem, seeing them as precious, that we no longer look at people as just a means to an end, that we don't uh, see people as enemies or inconveniences that get in the way of us in life. That people are there just to make my life better. But people are there, ready? When I love God and love people, people are in my path, the ones I'm close to and the chance interactions I have, those people are there, ready? Not so they can make my life better, but so that I can make their life better. Catch that one. The people you're closest to, your, your, your family, your blood relatives, your church family, your brothers and sisters in Christ, and then the, and you trickle it all the way down, all the people we have contact with, including the person we happen, the stranger we happen to bump into, those chance interactions along with the ones that we are planning for are there so that we, as followers of Christ who love God, can make their life better. When it says to love your neighbor as yourself, the immediate question comes up. And a lot of you who know your Bible realize that at one point when that was said, somebody asked the question, who's my neighbor? And I'm not sure that question either was with righteous wanting to really know. I have a feeling it was not, yeah, you said that, who's my neighbor? Bottom line is, who are we supposed to be devoted to? Who are we supposed to love and make their life better? Who are we supposed to truly care for and value and esteem? Ready? Anyone who is in close proximity to us. You say, well, that's awful generic. It's meant to be. Because the tendency is, you and I have no problem believing that we're supposed to love our spouse in a godly way. Love our children in a godly way, to love our blood relatives in a godly way, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ in a godly way. But the farther we go from those strong emotional connections, he can't mean beyond that. And Jesus really was, yes, he did mean that. Right down to the person that you meet today when you go to the gas station to fill up with gas, the gas attendant on the other side, or you go to the convenience store to get a loaf of bread or buy a soda or whatever it happens to be, you go through, you go in there, that chance interaction that you think is chance is not chance. God is saying, no, you love me, and Jesus is saying, and just as important as loving God is to love that person who's made in his image. Our family, our friends, not just those in our country, people all over the world, people that are in close proximity, like I said, for the long haul, but even in the short term. The person that you only see once in, their, in your life. A chance interaction. If you, if you doubt what I'm saying is true, I want you to take a look at the words of John. Now this is the disciple John who has a very close, he's very close to Jesus in his earthly ministry. So close that when Jesus is dying, he, he looks at John and looks at his mother as he's coming across. He says, woman, or he said, you, this, this, is, this is your mother now, bring her in. And, and, and then the Bible tells us that Mary went to live because she was widowed, went to live in John's household the rest of her life. And he says this, as I walked with, walked with Jesus, had been there, recognized he's the Messiah, he says this, whoever claims to love God, first commandment there, whoever claims to love God with their mouth yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they have not seen. And he has given us this commandment. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. Do you see the connection there? It's not, Jesus' words are not confusing, not hard to understand. They're backed up in other areas of Scripture that wrapped up in loving God in the fullness of all we have is loving people that are made in His image. The reality of what we're told here very clearly, you can't love God if you don't love the people made in His image. It's not an option. It's part, it's part 
of the answer to the question of what is the greatest command. Do you realize that Jesus did not have to add the second part to that? He could have left it, just love God with everything you had. But Jesus understands our humanity. He also, being God, has God's heart. And loving of God, if you truly love God, it's a true, the same thing, if you truly love someone and you spend time with them and develop a very tight relationship, their hearts, their desires, their goals, their objectives, guess what? Become yours. If we truly love God the way God is saying He's calling us to do, and it's important, we will find that the heart of God, His objectives, His goals, His actions become ours. We are reading, we have read this week in our Bible reading the creation account. And there, it leaves a lot of questions. Like, what was, what, was, what was here before He spoke everything into being? Nothing. Well, what do you mean? What was nothing? I can't explain to you what nothing because I'm only used to what in comparison to what I see here. But why? Well, you know, you ask all those questions. What, isn't it interesting that we, when we start in our Bible through the beginning, it gives us information that we need to know about what God's plan is and what He's doing with us as the human race. And it starts with putting us in a great spot in the Garden of Eden and then sin comes in and messes. This is the whole story of the Bible. God creates perfection, puts us in a perfect place where all of our needs and wants are met and we're free of sin and it's just this glorious, wonderful existence. And then we screw up. We just got to know more. We got to have something else that what God gave us isn't enough. And we sin. And then we're separated from God and then God makes a way for us to come back to Him and be right with Him. And that's the story of the Bible. God cared about you and I enough, first off, to bring us into existence, but then when we screwed up, He cared enough again to do what? To make a way for us to walk in real relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. And if that is how much God loves you and I, that when we deliberately over and over continue to mess up, but yet He still has made a way for people to be right with Him, if we have that heart, our, we're going to be driven as we love God to go after and help people made in his image to walk with God as well. Jesus makes a concluding statement at the end of his discourse with this man. He says, oh, and by the way, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. That guy, at, I, this guy, well, it does. It, he was basically almost speechless at the end of this discourse. At the very end, I think, if it isn't this one, it's a similar to one of those things there. He kind of stands back and he says, you've spoken well, master, or teacher, which is an understatement. But Jesus gives this complete answer to a question the guy really wasn't even asking, but is one that we all do wonder about. Jesus says in this statement that all of God's truth, all the things that are contained in the Word of God, all the truth and the wisdom and the knowledge that God possesses hangs. What does that mean, hangs? It's supported by, it's held together by the principles that are found in those two commands. Do you realize, and what that's saying, that the principles found in those two commandments He gave us, back to the beginning of the message, those are the main thing. Remember, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And if you're looking for the main thing, you look no further than what Jesus said in those two commandments because he goes on to say, these are so important that all the things written by the prophets, all the things in the law, the rules, the regulations, all that stuff are supported, are intertwined, are held up, and are supported by the principles in those commands. So, a timely message at the beginning of the year. True joy, true peace, and true fulfillment in 2021. That's what everybody wants. 
That's why people are, and I laugh at these kind of things, no offense, because I could, I could use to, to lose a few pounds, especially after the holidays, but even before that. But why, why do we do that? Why, why do people want to lose weight? Sometimes, but very rarely, as a New Year's resolution, is it for health's sake. It's, there's something else that gnaws inside of us. It's, we need to have this sense of well-being, feeling better about ourselves, doing something, trying to control things so that we look better or feel better or, or, or have whatever. And, and weight's not the only one. Think about what generally we do as human beings when it comes to New Year's resolutions. How many of those things, even for us as Christians, really when we start to pull back and scratch the surface are very self-serving or fail to acknowledge what God is saying altogether? Here we are, 2021, a couple days in. In a lot of ways, we look at it as there's this blank slate in front of us. And I, I'm probably more intrigued by that this year than normal. You've got to realize, in my growing up, uh, New Year's was an afterthought. I, I kind of grew up with this feeling, and it's, it's even gone to my health, that, you know, January 1 is just another day. Now, don't get me wrong, stops and starts and fresh starts are all important. It's a place to jump on and to do things. I get that. But realistically, if I can really get to you, realistically, when we went from that second where it clicks over, it's really the same. I know that really bothers a lot of people right now too because we want 2020 done and over with. We've got to get over ourselves. We really do. God's in control. He's in charge. And if we are really looking Okay, now let's go back to the idea, and it's okay now. This idea of a clean slate and a fresh start and, and, and all that, the blank slate of a year before us. We have the opportunity to move, ready? You and I have the opportunity to move in whatever direction that we choose. Now that's not just true because it's a new year, but you know what? Starting this moment right now, this moment right now, you and I have a choice that we can move in any direction we want to. Any direction. Even, even if you made a New Year's resolution two or three days ago and you've already failed. Do you realize that right now there's the opportunity to move in whatever direction that you choose to move in? And I want you to be reassured this morning. It is absolutely my choice and it's absolutely your choice in your individual life where you're going to go and what you're going to do. You say, well, wait a minute. I can't control the circumstances. I can't control the events that come into my life. That's the point that I want to make, is no, you can't, but you can control, you definitely can control what you will do with those circumstances, what you will do with those, those events, how you will respond to them. That is totally in your control, totally. And you may disagree. You feel, no, I can't because this thing happens and I always respond that way. That's what you call a habit or being in bondage to something. And Jesus Christ came to earth and died on a cross so that we actually would be able to make choices to live differently and to make different choices. You and I, this year, through any day, any moment throughout this year, have a choice at any moment to make a choice to be different, to walk differently, to live differently. question is, will you and I give our energy and our attention to not only telling God what we want, which is easy as Christians, think about your prayers, I'm thinking about my prayers, how much your, if you're looking percentage time, how much of your prayer life is telling God what you want versus how much is asking Him what He wants and listening. Now, I'm sure I made everybody squirm right there because I just know the answer to that question. For most of us, a majority of what we do is our laundry list of what we want from God. Okay, I'm not telling you to stop telling because God tells us to tell us what he wants. He asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do? That's our father. But if we grow in our relationship with him and truly love him, our prayer life will start to change and we'll ask him more, what do you want? Or, when, or it'll be phrased the way Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. We can ask him for what we want, but we don't tack that phrase on the end. We're, we're immediately convicted, realizing God, you know better than I do. And what I really, really want, even though I do want these things and I feel I need these things, I really realize 
that you may have a different way. And that's really what I want, is what you want. God has told us, love God. So you hear that this morning. He's telling you, love me, love God with everything you have. Don't hold anything back. Be radical. Don't hold anything back. Don't hold parts of your life back for whatever reason. Yield your whole life in obedience to Him. Examples again. You yield your marriage to Him. And you walk out your married life according to what He says in the Scripture. Not what you feel and not what the latest book says unless it matches up with what God says. You yield your children to God. And that means what? Teaching and training and raising them in the way that God says you're supposed to, not the way the culture does. And you will find yourself, I guarantee you, you will find yourself in conflict with the culture. Okay? You give God your possessions, your wealth, your money. You yield that to Him. And you realize what it is from his perspective. A tool and something he's given you to manage because it's really his. And then you seek to do so as a good steward. That when you see him face to face, he'll be able to look at that area of your life and say you did a good job doing with that what I gave you as if I was the one managing it. Yield your whole life your skills, your abilities, your talents, your time, recognizing they're all a gift from God, given with a purpose from His perspective. And you choose again, loving Him is yielding all of that to Him to spend as He sees fit. You see, you make it sound so easy. Again, ready? The hardest, easiest thing you'll ever do. We heard in our Sunday school this morning from our teacher that when I finally gave my, and then we're talking finances, when I finally gave my finances to God and said, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to do it this way. It doesn't matter how much I make. doesn't matter. I just want to do what you want me to do and how God rushed in and showed. That's the way God works. When we yield totally to Him, He's able to take that. If I can lay out to you this morning, make God the love of your life. We understand that from our romantic relationships. They're the love of my life. And what does that mean? They mean everything. They're the most important person. Make God the love of your life. Endeavor to make Him the most important relationship that you have above all others, including your spouse and your children. That God is number one, and your family comes right after that. Seek to please Him first. Seek to please God first, and I guarantee you that as you walk that out and learn how to do that, you will find yourself automatically being a better person to those around you and affecting them for good. Because you can't yield yourself and obey God and love God and walk with Him and not be like Him. And when you're like God, you will have a positive impact on people around you. He's told us to love each other. Those close to us, as well as those that we don't even know but have a chance to interact with. I want to tell you that God's not looking for our lip service. In fact, ready? God hates it when we love with hypocrisy, which means I love you, God, and then we walk out in our life in such a way that doesn't have any evidence of that love. That's what got the children of Israel in so much trouble. We love you. We worship you. We go to temple. We sacrifice. We give offerings. And what did he say? Yep, but your heart's far from me. And they were judged accordingly. Let's love God in purity and avoid hypocrisy as much as possible. Let's love other people. Don't just give him lip service. He's looking for the actions that are based on the love of him. He's looking for and requires action that's based on the fact that we truly love those around us. <clears throat> if you're looking for true joy and true peace and fulfillment in the new year, who wouldn't? Then give yourself totally to loving God. Give yourself to loving 
those that God places in your life, both in the short term and the long term. And as I was thinking this morning before worship started, as I sat down in that front seat, my mind went to another story of Jesus, and I want to share with you that. You remember the multitudes of people that came to hear him speak, and they were hungry. And Jesus had compassion and loved them, not just to teach them the word of God, but he also saw their physical need and was concerned because they were hungry and there was no place for them to get food. And he was concerned that they had been long enough without food that to try to hike out to go get it, it could be bad for them health-wise. So he says to the disciples, you feed them. <laughs> and they kind of looked at him. How are we going to feed 5,000 people or plus? We don't, have, we don't have enough. And Jesus asks a very interesting question. He says, what do you have? And I don't know which one was brave enough to speak up because from man's wisdom, the answer was rather foolish in the light of over 5,000 people that were hungry. And he said, well, we looked around a little bit and we got five loaves and two fish. And when I was saying fish, we're not talking big fish. It was probably somebody's lunch, so the loaves were probably small and the fish were probably small. Five loaves and two fish, which was clearly not enough. And Jesus says, bring them to me. He took them before his father and gave thanks and started to break them and hand them out to the disciples to hand out to people and everyone got fed and they picked up basketfuls of leftovers and there's a huge a huge lesson to that the greatest command love the lord your god with everything you have love people as you love yourself in other words give yourself to loving god spend yourself loving people the way god would love them and you say well i don't have much to offer all God is asking for is what do you have? And then we give what? Our meager offering, which I'm going to tell you is never enough for what's in front. We don't have enough to truly love God the way he deserves to be loved. All he's saying is what do you have? Invest that in loving me. And you and I don't have enough to meet the needs of all the people that God brings in our life. But he's saying what do you have and give it to me. And as we yield and commit ourselves to that, just like he is able to go before the Father in heaven and said, this is what they've offered. Thank you. He blesses it. And you know, then their miracle occurs. And it's multiplied. And it is enough then. It's more than enough to love God. It's more than enough to love people the way God would have us do. But it m starts with you and I with a commitment and then the bravery to offer to him what we do have. I want to tell you that any other commitment that you really give yourself to outside of those two that can't be linked back directly to one of those things, loving God and loving people, is selfish. It's selfish. And it will never deliver what it promises. Back to weight loss again. Losing weight is not a bad thing. When I think about losing, I don't want to lose weight because I want to eat what I want to eat. And it shows. <laughs> but what I find sometimes is I can think about it, I can do that, but what really convicts me, and I don't take the action I should, but I need to do better at it, is when God brings out to vitamize losing weight not so I'll look better or so that I'll be more whatever. It's losing weight so that I'm physically healthier so my life might be able to last a little longer to serve God more. See, I'm saying they're totally off of the me thing and onto him to be as healthy as I possibly can and as efficiently as I possibly can to serve him more. And the more that we love God, the more that we sell it to him, our spirit connects with him and we have true motivation for doing the things that need to be done. If you want to experience and walk with that true choice and peace, we'll start by loving him and loving people. We really need His power and His direction that comes from Him. And that only happens when we obey that command. You say, I want revelation. I want to know what God wants me to do. I want to see His power fall in my life to bless other people. I want to see His power fall in the people of God. And as early as last week at the end of worship, I was a, a, a crying mess up here as I was going before the Lord and what do I want? I couldn't hardly get the words out because I want God not to do things necessarily for me but to change who we are as a people. To impact people so that people that don't know Christ will come to know Him and be able to experience the true thing there. 
<clears throat> How do you do that? Jesus would say, it's simple. Do that. Love him. And as we love him, we have a heart for people. And then we can't help but loving the way he did. I don't know what you want for your life, but I know this. When I get said and done and get ready to leave this earth, I want to know that my life was effective and meaningful, not from any other perspective other than from heaven's perspective. I want the effectiveness that I've had to be something that's effectiveness that lasts, that doesn't disappear an hour or two or a year after I die. And the only way that that effectiveness will occur is if I'm investing in kingdom things. I want to provide meaning that lasts in the lives of people. Not something that when it's spent here on earth, it's gone, but meaning that transcends now, that lasts forever. That comes from God's power and His revelation. And it comes when we truly love God and then truly love others. We'll be headed in the next couple of weeks taking a look at a little bit more specifically on what does that love of people look like? And again, it's not going to be giving you five ways. There's a very simple principle that focuses on the, most, the main thing of loving people. We want to go there. So as we close up this morning, um, I'm going to lead us in a prayer here in a second. But there's an opportunity for everybody. And it may be, I don't know, what your perspective is on the new year, what your goals and objectives are, what you've laid out before then. But if there's been any conviction at all this morning because you put your New Year's resolutions out and now all of a sudden you go, oh gosh, I didn't really, I did the, the usual ones. And God is pushing you. You can go to Him and just be honest with Him that you realize that your heart sometimes is not where it needs to be, that you don't love the way you ought. We can be honest with Him. We can tell Him that. And then, but, but you can change today. You can make a commitment today. You can start trying to focus that, that my goal is this year is to love God the way he's asked me to love him and to love people. You say, but I don't know how to do that. You start on a journey. You start on a journey. You start today, step by step, piece by piece. Tools? I can tell you right now, one of the most valuable, first one is you got to make the commitment. You got to get with God. Don't tell me. Don't tell your friend. Talk to God about that. Make that commitment. And I'm going to tell you, to love God the way you need to, you need to understand what he said. You need to look at his plan. Join with us as we read through the Bible reading. You say, it's already two or three days and I'm behind already. The beautiful thing about this one, it's listed as day one. You could start at any time and then stick up with it. There's a lot of good resources in there. The, the truth of God, you will not waste your time. Do the best you can to keep up. Permeate yourself with God's truth and God's word. And like I said before, and it may be something you need to do today, maybe you need to talk to God. Maybe you have to ask Him for forgiveness because you realize that you never see that you have anything worthwhile to offer God, which is an affront to Him. He made you with very specific things to offer back to Him that are valuable to Him. And you can do that during our prayer time this morning. Offer yourself back. Offer the things that you have back. It's meager, it's small, and it doesn't seem to make a difference, but remember the story. The five loaves and the two fish didn't amount to anywhere close to what was needed. But with the power of God and the blessing of God upon it, it was more than enough to bring life. Let's pray. As I'm praying, you pray. Talk to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth this morning. Lord, I love the fact that you, when asked questions, you Give these, you gave these timeless answers that are still just as true in 2021 as they were in the year zero and before. Lord, you've told us what is the main thing. You've told us what is really worth us investing our life in, what it's worth us truly committing ourselves to and making our goal and objective. And I pray as we begin this fresh new year, that there would be a fresh newness in our spirits to recognize the importance of putting you and your principles first. Lord, let us be people who, who, who desperately desire and want to love you the way you asked us to love you. And that we would make it our quest and our journey to do whatever it takes to know you well enough and better each day so we can love you more. 
Lord, help us to recognize, too, that there are people all around us who you have a heart for. Give us your heart for them and help us to love them as we love you. Lord, we ask your forgiveness. I know I need to ask your forgiveness, Lord, for not taking things serious enough and not and, and, and thinking sometimes and getting sidetracked by the things of the world, the things that, that cloud my vision, the things that make me pursue or allow me to pursue or making choices that, that go against your principles or that feed my flesh. Lord, I pray that as I am on this side of heaven, Lord, first off, for your forgiveness, and secondly, the discernment to recognize when it's something that's not pure, when it's something that really isn't loving you or loving those around. Lord, I give that personally to you today. I want, I want you to have, I want you to be effective in my life and be effective through my life to others. And Lord, I offer myself and what I have. And I pray as people do that in this room or in the hearing this morning, Lord, I know that you'll take that offering. It becomes a sweet-smelling aroma to you, something that unleashes your power in a fresh new way. And we pray, Lord, that not only as we do that today and give that to you, but as we do that daily and start to walk in these things according to what you said, that your powers and your wonders and your miracles and life-changing force would flow through us to the lives of others. That we would be flooded with the miraculous that people can't explain. That people will want to be around us not because we're cool people or because we have all the trappings of humanity, but because we have something that's otherworldly, which is the power of God. Let that come through us, Lord, and help us to be able to get rid of self enough so that there's a, a clean conduit for that to flow through. And I pray that you'd accomplish those things as we seek to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen.